up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 3, Episode 7. Today's podcast is brought to you again by BookLaunchMentor.com. And if you have dreamed of writing that book and getting it out into the world and letting it fly, then jump on over there and see what we can offer you in terms of mentoring and helping. There's a lot of resources there. So go over to BookLaunchMentor.com and see what we can do to help you. Before we get into today's show, I would like to highlight the iTunes review of the week. Today's is by Darren Sapp, and he writes, Someone once told me that there's no greater form of evangelism than telling your testimony. This podcast is chock full of testimonies of what God has done. Restory is a great way to boost your week and see what God has done to real people. Darren, thank you so much for taking the time to write that review. And if, if you have, if you listening to this have some time, like maybe 4.2 minutes. Um, if you could write a review, that would really be helpful or just share it with a friend. And if you'd like, if you have a story to tell and you'd like to have it featured on the Restory Show toward the end, we oftentimes will receive these two minute stories and I'll put them in. So if you'd like to do that, just go to marydemuth.com and click on the little icon there and we'll hear your story. So today I am welcoming Jed Ostich to the Restory Show and he is a co-worker of my daughter's and a great guy with an amazing story, and I think it's going to really encourage you. So uh, let's go ahead and listen to Jed. Hey, everyone. It's Mary with the Restory Show, and I'm so excited to have Jed Ostich on with me today. And he works at Right Now Media, and he also went to Dallas Seminary, not with my husband, but about a decade later. <laughs> and uh, so he's super smart, and he's got a great story to tell. So Jed, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm thankful that uh, you give me opportunity to share what God's done in and around and through me. So awesome! And we're doing this early in the morning, so both of us have like morning bre- morning breath, probably but <laughs> yeah. morning voice. <laughs> so, Jed, tell the listeners a little bit about kind of where you were raised and how you were raised and when you met Christ and all of that good stuff. Yeah, I uh, I was born the the son of a redneck theologian and a missionary <laughs> kid. Um, <laughs> My parents both went to Moody Bible Institute. They met there, um, got married, moved down to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary because they had in their minds that they wanted to be missionaries to rural America. Um, wow. So they, they both had grown up in small towns um, or smallish towns, and they kind of felt compelled to go back and take, you know, be a pastor in a town that couldn't afford a pastor kind of thing. Um, so after my dad graduated from Dallas Seminary, uh, they moved to a little town called Wheatland, Wyoming. It's uh, about 30 minutes north of Cheyenne, Wyoming, in the southeast corner of the state, um, where there basically is nothing but hops fields and, and wheat fields, and that, that's it. Um, and, and wind. And wind, yes. Lots and lots of wind. Unbelievable amounts of wind. <laughs> yes. Uh, you had to be careful stepping out of our front door, because if you weren't ready for it, the wind would literally blow you off the front porch. It was, <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> so yeah, eight years after my parents got married, I showed up and I came into the world um, as the firstborn of three children. So my sister was born two years after me and my brother four years after that or after after me. So two years, two years. 
And it was it was a fun little upbringing. We didn't have any money whatsoever, um, which is I think the plight of um, any rural pastor. My dad originally had hoped to get signed with a missions agency that would support him, but no missions agency was wanting to work in um, those areas. And this is before that concept had really caught on um, as far as financing uh, pastors who were working in rural America. So they got a job at a tiny little church um, as an associate pastor. Um, I grew up in that world, so I I grew up hearing stories about who Jesus was and what uh, he had done in the world. Um, as part of the the fabric of our uh, of our lives, not cotton. It was it was a story of Jesus. Uh, so it was it was a good it was a good environment because I got to see firsthand um, a lot of the stories li- literally lived out. Um, part of the the fact of the matter is, is, you know, not having any money growing up, we we learned very quickly um, what it meant to trust God um, for just about everything. Um, and it was a really neat experience for us. I mean, there was one time where my dad had gotten let go from the church because of small town church politics. Um, they're nasty things. And, uh, so he was, he was working with the, uh, the South American migrant workers trying to scrape together enough money to put food on the table. And, uh, my mom had this big old bucket of, uh, laundry detergent. You know, you know, you can buy them in the five gallon buckets of powdered laundry detergent. And that thing lasted for, I mean, keep in mind, she's got three little kids and little kids generate a lot of laundry. That thing lasted for probably, I think it was a year and a half before my dad got a, a full time paying job. Um, and it was just, it was neat things like that to see how God would take care of people who were committed to doing what he asked them to do. Yeah, my dad ended up getting a job at the local John Deere dealership. He'd grown up as a mechanic and ended up. He went from making no money to making probably the most money in the entire town as working as their head mechanic at the John Deere dealership. Because literally everybody brought their tractors to that one dealership with, you know, a hundred mile radius. There were probably a lot of tractors in that area. <laughs> yes. Yes. A lot of huge tractors. <laughs> yeah, combines um, and things. Which was really neat. But my dad was compelled to do what he felt God had designed him to do and called him to do. So when I turned six, we moved to Pennsylvania which is quite a departure uh, from Wyoming, Southern Wyoming. And uh, I, so I grew up more or less in the woods and streams of, of rural Pennsylvania. My dad worked as a director of a Christian camp um, for several years. And then later on as a pastor of children's ministry at our, the church that we were attending. Um, so I continued to grow up in that environment, um, very steeped in who, who God was and what the story was that he was telling across all of history didn't really mean a whole lot to me. A lot of kids grow up in a Christian home, um, struggle to really make it their own, um, the story of their own. And that was kind of my story. I mean, I knew everything. That was the one thing I was good at that I could be, um, I could impress people with was my Bible knowledge. I could argue theology with anybody um, and win every mm. time. <laughs> You're so popular back then, I bet. <laughs> oh, my word, yes. I don't, I would not have liked me. Uh, <laughs> you would not have been your phone friend. <laughs> no, not at all. And it wasn't really until um, later in high school. And the ironic thing was, in high school, I had no friends. Um, I was very much a loner, very introverted, had a really hard time connecting to people. Um, but in high school, I realized that I liked girls. Um, <laughs> so you, could, you had to talk to them, at least. <laughs> exactly. So I started learning how to, you know, how to communicate, how to... Uh, um, be friendly to people. But my, my key was my Christian knowledge because in high school, that's all of a sudden a cool thing again. Uh, 
So it was an interesting moment for me trying to figure out what it what the faith meant to me individually. It started as just kind of a show for popularity's sake and ended up doing some radical things in me. And were you in a place where there was heavy Amish or Mennonite population, or was that a different area of Pennsylvania? We were one county to the west of uh, no, we were in Franklin County, of Lancaster County. Lancaster okay. County is where all the Amish Yes, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we had a few. There were a lot of Mennonites. But, yeah, most of my friends I grew up with were Brethren and um, Methodist. Interesting. So. Cool. All right, so you you were popular because of Jesus in high school, so that's cool. Um, and then what happened to you? <laughs> well, I went to high school fully expecting to go into architecture when I graduated. I was really good at math. Um, I, I don't know if I'm good at math anymore, but I used to be good at math. Uh, so I loved calculus. I aced the uh, the AP calculus test in uh, you know I had three hours left over at the end of the test. That wow. I had <laughs> I mean, I love math and I love design. I took a bunch of design classes, but I went on a uh, missions conference, a weekend missions conference. It was part of the requirements of the camp that my dad worked at. I was working as a counselor, and that was one of the things you had to do. And sitting there, I was listening to the plight of several missionaries talking about their work in um, in Indonesia and hearing what men and women were willing to do for the sake of the gospel in a country that just hated believers was uh, life-changing for me. And it was at that point that I decided that I would not be content um, sitting at a desk for the rest of my life, drawing buildings, and that being the way in which I served God. Now, I didn't have a very robust theology of vocation at that point, so what I decided was that I I needed to go into full-time ministry. So I ended up heading to Moody Bible Institute, not because my parents went there, but because I thought it was a good school. And then after that to Dallas Seminary, again, not because my parents went there, but because it was a good school. I keep saying not because my parents, but you know what? (laughs) (laughs) You you do what you know. Yeah. And they did that. So you know that. So you went to DTS and is that where you met your wife? Weirdly enough, I met her my second to last year at Moody. My best friend on campus was from her hometown and she had done Jocelyn had done a um, a two-year ma- uh, bachelor's program, so she was finished already, um, just living at home back in her hometown. And so my buddy was like, hey, I know this girl. You know, she lives six hours away. She's going to come visit because she's got a bunch of friends here. Um, she's kind of weird. You're kind of weird. You guys might hit it <laughs> off. So Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So we, we met and dated through the rest of my time at, at – uh, at Moody and then got married right after I graduated and then moved, then moved within three months down to Texas. I took her away from her family, from everything that she'd known, put 20, 20 hours of driving between her and all of that. And, uh, took her to a state she'd never been to and had no friends in. <laughs> that must've been fun times. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I, I like to think that it was a, a exercise of faith. She just thinks I was stupid. So, <laughs> And I say exercise of faith because we moved to Dallas without me having finished my application to DTS. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> that is <so>. faith. <laughs> yeah. No no reason to be there. No job. No place to live. No friends. And uh, I thought that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? <laughs> well... That's again. It's one of those neat stories about how God has a habit of working in our, or at least in my stupidity. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up connecting to some people down here via DTS's mandatory um, small groups. Which oh, right, were, right. They were life saving, not in the fact that they were spiritual mentors to us, but that they were just friends, um, people we could connect to. 
we ended up finding a church that um, we both adored. People who, there's a small church, but people who knew that we were new the very first day we walked in, they remembered our names the next week. Yeah, it was, it was, we, we slowly and surely built a family down here. Um, and it was only by the grace of God because it wasn't for my, you know, intelligence or, or strong decision making. We ended up getting an apartment that was everything that we wanted. This is just before the housing boom in Dallas. So we were able to get it at a reasonable price for two students. Because my wife, Jocelyn, was using was in the middle of her own master's program at the time. Um, so we were we had to figure out how to live, pay for two master's programs, work at the same time. It was a it was an adventure, but at every step of the way we saw God come through in some pretty cool ways. And I growing up with this attitude that said God will provide for us and having seen that happen, that wasn't hard for me. But for my wife it was a it was a whole new experience. So that that was a <laughs> that was a fun experience. And but we made it through on the other end. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean that's kind of how everybody's story is and and you get through. So what is a story and this might be hinting at it, but what is the story that you want to share today? Yeah, um, if you haven't picked up on it yet, um, God providing financially is a is a huge storyline in in my life. And there's something about I think a recurring theme in any story that uh, that keeps hinting at something big coming down the line. Um, there are times where I look back at my life and go, if I had written this as a novel, I wouldn't have done it any different. I mean, it, it's just it's interesting to see how God spun everything together. You know, so I had grown up with this attitude that said, even in the most dire of circumstances, God will provide what you need. And my, that had been a mantra. I mean, even in living in Pennsylvania, we lived way below the poverty line, but we never wanted anything. I mean, we, we had everything we needed, clothes and food and things to play with. Um, I mean, when, when you've got cornfields as your backyard, I mean, what else do you really need to play with? When uh, yeah, there's creepy corn children and all that. Yeah, 12-year-old <laughs> boy growing up in farmland. I mean, yeah. <laughs> There's snakes aplenty. It's good. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but when we got to Dallas, there was something different that, that happened. And I think it was because I realized for the first time that this was this was on me. If we didn't have a place to live and food to eat and clothes to wear, that was on me. Now, whether or not you come from a, a background that says that the husband should provide for the wife, that was still what I felt. And it profoundly affected my capacity to trust God. It's a lot easier to trust God when somebody else has to sign the check, you know. But when that's your own name on it, then you're sitting there going, ah, I don't know if he's going to come through. And that all came to a head the year my daughter was born. So we had just finished paying for Jocelyn's master's program. So she was finished with that, but that had left the Ostich family coffers very, very low. This was in the middle of a, uh, a hard year for me at school. Partially, I blame my wife for this because when we when we came to Dallas, she told me she wanted me done with my master's program in three years. Normally, it's a four year. It's a program. four year program. I know it's fully four years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, most people stretch it to four and a half or five years. Yes, um, ten years sometimes. In- yeah, exactly. So, inevitably, uh, I, being the dutiful husband that I was, decided, well, okay, if that's what her expectation was. Now, come to find out later that she just wanted me to be done for sure in four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I didn't know until I was asking for forgiveness, signing up for my fourth year, thinking I had disappointed her. She's like, oh, no, it's fine. I just want to make sure you get done in, uh, done in, in uh, four years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have told me that before. 
So this particular year, that meant my school bill was massive because I was taking winter classes, three summer classes, and a full 19-hour load in the fall. And ironically, at DTS, they, they, they go out of their way to accommodate students often. But um, if you even if you pay incrementally, the big, the big bill comes due on August, at the end of August. And uh, that was always the time of the year that Jocelyn didn't get paid. She was a piano teacher, um, which in itself is its own miraculous story. It was one of those random friends who walked up to me in the most out of the blue moment and asked me if my wife needed a job when she absolutely did and turned out to to be a piano studio of 26 students that she could start that next Monday kind of deal. Wow. But despite that kind of provision, you know, again, God has got consistently providing some crazy ways. But despite that, I mean, August was the one month she didn't get paid because it was the transition from summer teaching to to school year teaching. So we have no money coming in. My daughter was was set to be born in October, end of August. I'm looking at the bills, um, wondering, you know, where this money is going to come from, because for the first time in my life, I was looking at my the things that I owed and looking at my checking account and savings account and realizing that there is not enough money. It just, it's not there. It's first time in my life we had ever gotten to the point, even in the crazy ups and downs of seminary life where there literally was not enough money to pay the bills. And that was an existential crisis for me. That was a crisis of faith. Even being in Dallas for the first year, second year being married, we had seen him come through in some really neat ways he provided for us a church home. He'd given us friends. He'd given us basically family away from home. Um, he'd provided miraculous jobs. He'd provided the means to get to those jobs. I mean, our car blew up the moment we crossed the Texas border when we moved. So, I mean, he'd come through in some pretty phenomenal ways. But now, sitting there with these two pieces of paper in my hand, looking at what I had and what I owed, I didn't, I didn't believe it. And it's amazing when you get to that point where you've seen the evidence of God's faithfulness. You've seen him prove his promises over and over again. And yet you get, or at least for me, I got to a point where I didn't believe it. I couldn't remember them. Even if I did remember them, I didn't, they weren't enough. And I remember going, going and taking a shower because we do all our best thinking in the shower. I went to take a shower and I just, I just sat underneath the, it was, it was kind of like a scene from a movie, you know, where you, know, you just kind of sit under the shower head and cry. And that's, that's what I did. You know, I had no, no idea. My wife doesn't manage the finance finances. She had no idea. I mean, she knew we were tight, but she had no idea how bad it was. And it was, a, it was a devastating moment for me. Um, the neat thing was it was in that, in the middle of that, that, uh, that, that whole evening, that Jocelyn just kind of tapped me on the shoulder. And, and keep in mind, this is a this is a woman who grew up this, the daughter of a doctor. She had, I mean, she had eight siblings. So family of 11, you know, even a doctor's salary can get stretched pretty tight, but they never, never had money problems. She came over to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, hey, you know, God, God took care of us um, and God has taken care of us. And then she started for the next hour telling me the stories over and over again of what God done, what God had done, what God had done, what God had done. Um, and, and Jocelyn's not an emotional person, but you could tell that just the whole ex- moment right there was starting to get to her. Um, I don't know if it was my, my weakness or just the overwhelming truth of God's provision or just the tension of the, the moment. And, and you like to think that at that moment, or I like to think that that's, you know, my faith was restored and I got up renewed and, you know, ha ha, God will take care of us. <laughs> 
that wasn't the case. You know, I went to bed that night, was able to sleep, but that was about the extent of it. Um, I woke up the next morning still stressed out. Um, and that's when God started doing some really cool things. And I think he did it in spite of or, uh, my inability to trust him, which is, I think, how God works in a lot of situations. We, we were going to a Bible study again. That was a weird, miraculous thing. The lady that Jocelyn worked for held a Bible study. They needed a Bible study teacher the, the year prior. I said, I can fill in. And then we just started going. That Bible study essentially financed us for the next year in anonymous gifts. I mean, we would go out to the car and there would be an envelope stuck underneath the windshield wiper every single week for over a year. Um, and there was always enough money in there to not only buy groceries, but to pay for our bills. And week after week after week, one one woman came up to us and kind of, she said, I don't know why. It was like, but I felt so compelled this month to give my tithe money to you guys. And I have no idea where that came from. Like I was just sitting there ready to put it in the, the offering plate at church and something just stopped me. And I felt so, I mean, we, and, and all of these people had been like, uh, I mean, they were all excited for Jocelyn to have our first baby. I mean, they're, they're all itching to be grandparents to this kid. Um, so it's, that in and of itself isn't surprising. But the fact that it always meant exactly what we needed day in and day out. Our church had started a fund um, two years prior to that, um, specifically for the purpose of caring for people who um, didn't have money. But I was too proud to go and ask. Uh, but we still had friends in church who somehow knew about it, that we were struggling and they would come over and say, hey, you know, here's a here's a check from the fund to take care of your guys' rent this month. And again, I say all of this not to say, you know, we got to this crisis and I had this brilliant moment of faith and God said, you know, all right, let's, let's do this. I mean, again, all of this was despite the fact that I with all of the history that God had shown that he was capable of taking care of people who trusted him, that he was going to take care of me, even though I didn't trust him. My daughter was born. We never, we never suffered from hospital bills. We had everything paid for. She came into the world with loving faces all around her, a family that we hadn't had when we moved down there. Um, friends, a place to be, a place to belong, an entire Bible study filled with grandparents. I mean, and, uh, yeah. And we came out on the other end of it. Okay. You know, graduated, um, from seminary still tight, but you know, we were, we were, we were taken care of and it was all because God decided that he was going to show a very weak man <laughs> that he's capable of providing, um, even in the midst of unbelief. I, uh, it reminds me of when, uh, we were in France and we got that phone call that said, why aren't you paying your mortgage? And we said, because we sold our home. <laughs> and we found out through a series of phone calls that we had sold our home to a con man. And, and so we lost everything. He was, he owned the title. We owned the loan and it was all because he was a con man and uh, he was squatting in the house and he had destroyed it. And so we were forced to go into foreclosure and we had been, you know, like, Dave Ramsey clones, you know, just doing everything right. We had awesome credit, all the good things. And in a moment, be, you know, because we trusted someone we met through church, uh, we lost everything. And I just remember that the Lord saying to me in that moment, because I had lots of angsty thoughts and I wasn't very faith-filled in that moment too. And his question to me was, do you really believe that I own the cattle on a thousand hills? And I was like, you know, I've always said that. <laughs> 
But now I have to like come to that crisis of faith where I have to really believe it. And, and it's one thing to spout off things and say things, but when the rubber meets the road, you kind of learn how weak you really are and how great he really is. And, you know, we did suffer. I mean, it was not a pretty, he didn't rescue us from it and it was bad and we lost our credit and we lost our house and all sorts of things. But, you know, and we were missionaries, so we weren't, that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I really resonate that with that because it is true that we have to, like your wife, we have to remind ourselves of the, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God. And, and I, often will look at the disciples or the Israelites and be like, you guys are a bunch of losers. Like, why can't you just figure it out? Look at God just fed the 5,000. Jesus just handed out all those loaves and you're like, we're hungry. Where are we going to get enough to eat? And I am exactly like them. <laughs> so dang human. Yeah. Well, the neat thing was is after, so that Christmas is Vivian's first Christmas, my daughter. Um, we hung a garland in our house uh, and started something that we've carried through to this day where we took a little ornament and we, we wrote on it all of the instances that we had seen God. And not just the miraculous ones, but the ones were just God being kind to us. And it, so we wrote everything on that one ornament. And every year since then, it, um, I, I, I vowed to never, <laughs> never doubt the, the, the past story that God had told in our lives again. And so we recorded that story. And we we memorialize it every single uh, every single Christmas. We hang it's now five ornaments we've got set up there. Um, five years of testimony of God, you know, caring and taking care of us. <laughs> but even then, even then, you still it's still tough. It's still tough because we are we we are prone to panic and prone to worry and and. Uh, I don't, I don't know. There are days where I'm just like, okay, Jesus, I'm ready for you to come back now. <laughs> or I'm really ready to feel you in a way that is more tangible than I felt you in the past or just, you know, whatever it is that we go through. So how has this experience affected your marriage in a positive way? And also like, what have you learned through it? Well, like I said, Jocelyn, my wife, and I came from two very different backgrounds. Um, I grew up, like I said, in an environment where we had literally had to trust God for provision. And she grew up in an environment where that was a concept you trusted God to provide, but she never really had to see that happen, not to, to the degree that we had done. And, uh, and my, my wife would tell you that she she is someone who likes to plan. I, I joke that if she climbed a tree, she would have to have a full like evaluation of the tree performed by some outside firm before she would be willing to go up on the tree and like trust that that tree was going to hold. <laughs> um, she likes planning miles ahead of the game. I'm the kind of person that says, Hey, there's a cliff. Let's jump off. And then I stop to think, well, maybe I should have looked at the bottom to see what's down there first. Two very different personalities in that. And so when it came to finances, even even in the in the tight spots, I was like, you know, God's going to trust. It's going to be exciting. This is this is crazy. This is this is this is wild. But God's going to be faithful. We just need to trust Him. And that didn't sit well uh, with my very meticulous, forethought-filled wife. Uh, so there's a lot of conflict there. We struggled a lot because our perspectives on what God was doing were very different. Um, that's why that moment. Um, that one evening was so powerful for me. Is because here's my wife, who I know is just freaking out reminding me with a gentle voice that this is this is what God has done in the past. So I would say in a lot of ways we've learned how to um, 
we've learned how to communicate better. Uh, I've learned to take things slower, to listen faster than, and a lot of that's because my wife is a smart woman. She's very intelligent, very keen to figure things out very quickly. She understands, um, uh, frugality way better than I do. If I have a dollar, that dollar will not stay in my pocket longer than it has to. Um, so, I mean, we joke if, if we won the lottery, she says I would have spent it all in a month, but she, she'll, she'll just put it in the bank and forget about it. Um, <laughs> so in a lot of ways, we've learned to communicate better to see each other's perspectives, not just on the issue of money, but on the issue of what trusting God and hard decisions looks like. Um, and it's come to play in a lot of situations. I was jobless for all of 2015 despite being told by everybody I was talking to that they had no idea why no one would want to hire me. Um, I think God is sitting in the corner going, I'll tell you why. It's because he's a cocky, self-assured, um, prideful young man, and I need to bring it down a couple of notches. Um, so we got to practice. We got to practice a lot of what we'd learned. And it's because of that, that we, we learned how to talk to each other, to be kind to each other, to listen, um, to see each other's perspectives on hard, hard issues, um, her seeing that maybe it's going to be okay and that we can trust a little blindly me stopping and thinking about the details first before insisting on just walking through a door into the unknown. So, yeah. It's cool how God brings opposites together. And sometimes we're like, Oh, why did he do that? But then we're like, Oh, I know why he did that. Cause I have some issues and uh, the other person needs to rub off on those or to help me be different. So that's really good. So I think this is probably answered, but uh, what kind of, maybe maybe a little more nuance, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's struggling financially? Oh man, I would preface any advice by saying the way that God works in your life is going to be different than the way he works in my life or someone else's life. I mean, you hear, you hear miracle stories um, often and it, and that's kind of what I had in my head going into um, some of these tough financial times. And we, we saw miracles, but they were not the dramatic, you know, checking the mail for the exact amount of our, all our bills kind of dramatic. I mean, there was still fear involved in all of it. So I think the one, two things I would say is it's okay. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to wonder that that stress, that anxiety is part of being in a place where you're not sure you're going to have the, the finances you need to take care of your family or take care of your home or to pay your bills. That's a natural part of, of that tension. But I guess the second thing that I would say is it, it, even though it's okay to be afraid, never forget, never, ever forget what God has done either in your life in the past or in the lives of other people. The, the stories of what God has done in and through others uh, is, is the way that he teaches us, um, what it looks like, what practical theology looks like, where it, where the rubber meets the road looks like. So listen to people, um, solicit stories from other people, talk to them, ask people at church, you know, tell me about what God's done for you. Tell me about how God's provided for you. Um, encourage me in this. Not Don't tell me it's going to be okay. Tell me what it looked like for God to, uh, to, to show up in your life. I think remembering what God has done, not just in scripture, but in the lives of fellow believers, uh, is, is fundamental to us being able to live with the anxiety and to work, move through the anxiety into a place that looks more like faith or feels more like faith. That's good. I, I, of course, this is the Restory show, so of course I'm all about 
finding out about people's stories and all that. So the last question is in the last year, so all of 2016 and a bit of 2017, how has God restoried you? Well, the, the neat thing is, so when my, my son was born, we keep having these, these financial crises around children being born. So we've been very <laughs> reluctant to uh, consider having any more kids. <laughs> In 2015, like I said, I had gone jobless for over a year, um, and we're starting to get to the point where, you know, kid number two was going to show up. Jocelyn fully intended on stopping teaching most of her piano students because taking care of two kids is not a uh, uh, not an easy thing to do when you work full time, um, and that's just something we had committed to doing. So it was a it was a moment of tension for us. Um, and the ironic thing was, is I had I had had a whole bunch of job. Um, potential jobs come through to the point where I'd make it all the way to the end and then get turned down in favor for the other guy. And it happened over and over and over again. And uh, this one, and where I'm working now, right now, media, I had been talking to my now boss in the year, earlier in the year about potentially coming to work here. And he was very optimistic about it, but it just never worked out. They, they just didn't have the, the budget line for it, for another writer, or they just didn't have the position, the right kind of position for for what I could do. But literally the the day after my son was born, he called me and said, "Hey, uh, can you can you start Monday?" <laughs> um, so it was it was pretty exciting. I mean, I'd like to say that I had no anxiety going into that crisis, um, but God came through in a way that was 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 fundamentally dramatic. And what's been neat since then is uh, he's he's God has really prospered me here uh, in rapid rapid ways. Uh, and again, I'm not convinced it's because I am who I am. I think it's because God is who God is. And as a result, he's moved us to a position now where my wife and I are looking for other people that we can help. Ways that we can be those uh, those steady providers, those, those means of miracles to other people who are struggling, either financially or just, just needing to hear the story of how God comes through and God provides. So he's kind of turned the perspective back around on us, saying it. God's essentially said to us, look, I, I, I got you through this, and I put you in a place, you know, what does the psalmist say? You've put my feet on level ground. It's like, I finally put you here. So now what are you going to do with it for the sake of the rest of my people? And it's been it's been exciting to see how God opens doors and has opened doors for us to be able to turn around and be a blessing to other people in the way that they were blessings to us. Well, that encompasses the entire restory message because it's, it's the so what. And uh, I was think I was talking to uh, my church yesterday about we're doing another restory conference in the fall. And I said, well, I think we need a tagline for it because we need to kind of know what it's about. And I said, we need maybe something like turning or transforming your past pain into your superpower. And that's kind of the idea is that you, God uses those broken places and then it becomes the place that we end up giving from our abundance out of. And so it's just a really great example of that. So thanks for, uh, you know, playing into my hand. <laughs> no, great story. And thank you so much for sharing it. And, and your boss actually has been on the Restory show. It was Paul Lanham. And he also had a, a job experience where he went somewhere on a Friday and got a job on a Monday. And so it's kind of interesting that he kind of did that to you. Um, I can kind of see him in the background kind of laughing like, hey. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's fun. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your story. It's a pleasure to be here, and I, I hope uh, I hope it's an encouragement to someone out there who's w- wondering if God still takes care of people. 
Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, I do pray financial blessing over the people listening to this Restory podcast today. And more than that, Lord, I pray for faith and trust that we would get to that place where we not only say that we believe that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, but we actually believe that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that you have it all, you own it all, and it's not hard for you to provide for us. And forgive us for thinking that we are our provider, or we're stressed about not doing it well, or whatever. Lord, it's normal to have stress about this. This is the life that we live, the world that we live in, but I pray that you would take the burden of financial stress today um, from my listener and that you would just take that and provide peace instead. And where there was worry, provide trust instead. And nothing affects us more than uh, financial insecurity. And, and when we're in that place, Lord, I pray instead of fretting that we would reach toward your footstool and just trust and pray and believe and rest and find peace in you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com restory 3-7. That's marydemuth.com forward slash restory 3-7. And may you live a brand new story this week.